Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. One of the foundational beliefs in Christianity is the Trinity, one God in three persons, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. In this series, we're diving in, asking honest questions and getting to know a God who loves us, who saves us, and who changes us. To find out more about Three Creeks Church, visit threecreekschurch.com. Well, hey, good morning, Three Creeks. My name is Joel. I get to be the pastor here. Merry Christmas. I think it's legal to say that now. And welcome to our winter wonderland that we are uh, getting to experience together. I hope that you uh, have, are having a great Sunday so far. It's just, uh, I mean, I'm telling you, the Sundays, I keep saying, like, this has been my favorite Sunday in a while. And then even today, I'm just getting to sing with you. I just feel like it's my favorite Sunday again. So thanks for, thanks for coming. Thanks for showing up. Um, you could have been anywhere in the world and you chose to be here. So we're excited about that. Hey, uh, at Three Creeks, we kind of have a, a tradition, if you will. We, we actually have Christmas Eve Eve services. So we do our, our Christmas services on the 23rd for, at the beginning, it was a scheduling issue and then we did it and everybody liked it. So we said, let's just do Christmas Eve Eve. So uh, 5 p.m., 7 p.m., Christmas Eve Eve will be right here at Gehanna Middle School West. If you, uh, if you are the singing type, if you like to sing, even if you're not very good at it, I know there, there's a, just a couple more days. I think the, the first choir practice is next Sunday, and so if you want to join the choir, that would be great. Uh, we also have something for you on the way out of here today. When you walk out of the auditorium after the service is over, there's going to be a plate with 300 Cheryl's cookies on it. And on each Cheryl's cookie, there's a little sticker that is essentially an invitation to come and join us here for Christmas Eve Eve. Um, hey, real quick, sorry, Brandon, can you do 136 back there or somebody? Um, the uh, Christmas Eve Eve stickers on it, and uh, I, I just got to be straightforward. These cookies are not for you, okay? They're not for you. Santa's watching, and if you don't believe in Santa, God's watching. And this is for you to take and for you to invite somebody to join us on Christmas Eve Eve. So take, uh, just think right now. Just let me give you 10 seconds. Think of a person in your circle, maybe doesn't have a church home at the moment, somebody that doesn't know exactly what Christmas means. Who could you extend an invitation to? They might say no to Christmas Eve, Eve, but they're not going to say no to a Cheryl's cookie. So it's our trick to, uh, to invite them. I hope that you'll take us up on it, snack some cookies on your way out, and, uh, and we'll have a great time. We'll pack the house and have a special night together. Okay, we're in a brand new series. It's called The Trinity. We're going to be talking about the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. And as I was coming in this morning, Tom Hewling kind of put his arm around me and he said, dude, I love the Trinity. And I said, what do you love about the Trinity? And he said, well, just years ago, it was this big hurdle for me in my faith. And it wasn't until I read like 12 books about the Trinity. And I looked at him, I was like, and did you figure it out? And he just laughed because no, you can't figure it out. There's a certain element to this thing that Christians know as the Trinity that will always be a mystery. And so uh, leave it to me to try to, you know, do something that's impossible. For four weeks, we're going to talk about the Trinity and try to, quote unquote, figure it out. We won't get to the point where we know exactly how this works itself out. But I hope that over the course of four weeks, you might get to know God more that you would get to know who he is more. And over the course of four weeks, I'm going to explain why it matters. Like if the Trinity wasn't real, if it wasn't true, how that would actually change your faith and flip it upside down. 
I'm excited about unpacking that with you. Uh, over the last month, over the last month, just in, excuse me, in October only, so I guess two months ago, October only, there were 455 words that were added to the dictionary. Did you know that? In one month, 455 words added. There are 470,000 words in the dictionary. Here are some of the 455 that were added just in October. A fluffernutter, which is a sandwich made with peanut butter and marshmallow cream between two white slices of bread. Raise your hand if you've ever had a fluffernutter before. Yeah, see, you guys know. Have you called it a fluffernutter? That's interesting to me. A faux hawk. I feel like it's been around for about 15 years, but just in October, it's official. You can use it if you play Scrabble. Horchata. Anybody a fan of horchata? Yes. It's in the dictionary. Am I right? Like the one word, like A-M-I-R-I-T-E. Am I right? It's legal. Air fryer. Made Webster's Dictionary just this October. You can use them all over Christmas in Scrabble, like I said. There are a number of words that are still not in the dictionary. They are making their way that direction. Fidget spinner has not arrived yet. Bay. B-A-E, not in the dictionary. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this in church because I'm not exactly sure what it means, but turnt <laughs> is not in there yet. You may already know this one, but the word irregardless is not a word. Regardless is a word. And I didn't know this. I confess, espresso is not a word. I've been saying it espresso for years. Apparently it's espresso. And I'm sure I've offended some of you. We're always making up words in the 60s. These are the words we made up. Groovy, hippie, and boo-boo. Like an, out, like, a, like an injury became a boo-boo in the 60s. In the 70s, we started, literally, this is the dictionary. You can catch it on the flip side. We dig it and we pump iron. That's in the 70s. In the 80s, we invented gnarly, fly, preppy, wicked, and chillin'. In the 90s, now we're talking. You guys are, this is you guys now. Get jiggy. What's up? Word. I'm, this is me. Okay. In the 2000s, we started talking about peeps, things being sweet, and things being sketchy. And recently, just in the last decade, we, we have put these in the dictionary. Bromance. Selfies. Helicopter parents. Oh. <laughs> photobomb tweets and deets. They are in the dictionary now. These are all new words that we have made up. But see, there are things that we experience that, you know, you don't really have a word that goes with it, right? So like if my kids are like going nuts and I'm like, okay, we can't legally give them actual medication for this because they're just feeling crazy, but we're going to give them a chill pill, right? We, we come up with a word. It's like, Judah, take a chill pill. If somebody's dressed up with big old diamond earrings and a, a huge necklace and bracelets and maybe even a shiny belt, we go bling, bling right? It's a thing. We are, we, you guys know exactly what I mean, but we got to make up a word for it. Bling bling is, is recent. People look at me and they go, oh, what is it? It's something. And it's like, it's obvious. It's dad bod. They came up with it <laughs> because of people like me. Some of you girls out there laughing, but you guys started wearing clothes. You're like, oh, I feel athletic and leisurely. <laughs> Athleisure. We'll make that a word. And now it's on all your Christmas lists. My point is that, is that we've been making up words for stuff forever. It, it's not that the stuff didn't exist. It's just that, that we were making up the words for it. And in two, 
213 AD, so 1,800 years ago, a guy by the name of Tertullian made up a word. For the first time in history, he wrote down this word. It was called the Trinity. And I was actually asking, I, it was, I don't know if it was mean or not, but I asked my community group the other night, I said, hey, we're starting this brand new series on the Trinity. Does anybody know what Bible verse says the word Trinity? And they were all like, ah, I don't know. And I said, well, joke's on you. There actually isn't the word, the Trinity, in the Bible. And so how has this word that isn't even in the Bible become probably number one on most churches and or Christian uh, denominations, statements of faith? The first one is often the Trinity. How, how, did, how did we get there? So Tertullian in 213 AD came up with this word called the Trinity. And here's why. It's because after John, Jesus' last disciple, died in about, I don't know, maybe in, right before, right around 100 AD. There's Christians everywhere at this point. People that follow the way. People that believe in Jesus. All over the world. And they're all starting to assemble in these local churches. And, and, and they had to come up with a way to try to define or describe this God that they were reading about and experiencing. As you can imagine, some people were way off. And some people were just a little bit off. But when human beings try to describe or define heavenly things, that's bound to happen. There was a guy by the name of uh, Praxis. He supported the idea that either one, Jesus was never God, or two, that Jesus was created by God and wasn't God at one point, but God gave him divinity later on. And so to kind of combat this and other heresies that were out there, Tertullian wrote this, this, I don't know if it was a paper or a papyrus, but he wrote the word Trinity for the first time in 213 AD. In 325 AD, 100 years later, all of the well-respected Christian, the way followers got together and they, they formed, uh, they, they got together and they called it the Council of Nicaea. Maybe you've heard of this before. Maybe you've heard of the Nicene Creed. In a minute, we're going to sing a song that is really a lot of those words. It's, it's a song that's called the Creed. And it's based off of the Nicene Creed. Let me read you what these guys got together and said in 325 AD. They described Christ as God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. And there's this word that they, they came up with that they, they called it homoousius, which means of one substance. It was recognized as the hallmark of orthodoxy that the Father and the Son were one. That's what Jesus said. And then a hundred years later, at the First Council of Constantinople, in 381, the Nicene Creed was expanded and it included this, this Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. This is what they added. Remember, they said, being of one substance with the Father, that's about the Son, and in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. This is the Trinity. This is the Trinity. And they didn't make it up. They just gave a word to what was already true. A word to what had existed actually forever beyond the scope of time. This is what it existed. And Tertullian said, let's call it the Trinity, the tri-unity. 
Three persons, one God. When you, uh, when you look at the Bible and you read everything that there is to say about the Father, everything that there is to say about the Son, and everything that there is to say about the Holy Spirit, it can leave us at times understandably speechless and without words, scratching your head, feeling like Tom did when I said, did you figure it out? And he just laughed because he didn't know what to say. It, 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 it's beyond at some point, our human brain's capability to understand how this all works together, that there's one God and three persons, Father, Spirit, and Son. I want to highlight four things about this trinity for you. The first is that they were existing eternally. The second is that they're equal in deity. The third is that they work in perfect unity. And the fourth, the fourth is that they're distinct in their role. And if you try to you know, understand all this in a, you know, 32-minute message, well, that will blow your mind. And fun fact, the term mind-blowing was invented in the 80s. See? I'm telling you, we're just making up words. It's like, oh, I'm, hang I'm hungry and I'm angry. Hangry. You're just making up words, Cody. The Bible, given the Bible to go on, let me try to explain to you this beautiful mystery that is the Trinity. Okay. A.W. Tozer, uh, theologian, founding father of, of even my theology, love, love A.W. Tozer, love reading what he says. He said this, and I think that it's true. It's that the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. That the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. And so, I, I'm not in a rush I'm going to give you 20 seconds to close your eyes right now. Everybody close your eyes. I want you to, to think about God. What do you picture when you picture God? I've been asking this question to some people recently. You can look at me now. I can, uh, and, I, and, and some people picture like, a Zeus-looking character, almost like uh, Little Mermaid's dad, you know? Big white beard. Other people immediately picture nature. They think of like an ocean or a mountain or something that they've seen that's, that's just not, like nobody made that. God had to have done that. People think about God that way. A lot of people just immediately picture Jesus. Maybe, maybe Jesus doing miracles or Jesus on the cross or Jesus resurrected from the dead. And, and they, they, they have these ideas of what God would be like. Let me try to take the Bible today and try to paint this picture of this amazing and mysterious triune God. God is one God existing in three persons, meaning that the Father is one person and he is God. The Son, Jesus Christ, is one person and he is God. And the Holy Spirit is one person and he is God. And all three of them have existed eternally. None of them were created by each other. They've all existed eternally in perfect triunity, trinity. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that God, in the beginning, God, implying that God the Father created the heavens and the earth. And it says that the Spirit was there, that the Spirit was hovering over the water. And it goes, well, where was Jesus at the time? Because that's, that's one of the things that people started to say, like, God created Jesus later, so he can't be fully God like God the Father. In the New Testament, in two different points, 
when Paul wrote to Timothy, he said that Timothy, he said, Timothy, listen, the grace that is being given you in Christ Jesus was initiated before the beginning of time. Meaning that Jesus Christ was existing before the beginning of time. And then Peter wrote to all the Christians that were scattered all over the world in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said Jesus Christ was chosen before the creation of the world. He was chosen before the creation of the world. And so Jesus did not have a starting point. Jesus has always existed. And in Genesis chapter 1, a little bit later in the chapter, when God is making Adam and God is making Eve, he says... Let us make man in our image. And if you were a Jewish person who understand how to read biblical Hebrew, you would have read that and gone, what? Is this a typo? Let us make man in our image with, with an undeniable plurality to those words. That is not a typo. That is the Trinity. This is the Trinity existing before the creation of the world. The Trinity has eternally existed. And the second thing I want you to know is that all three persons are equal in deity. They're equal in deity. The Father is God. And the Son is God. Colossians 2 chapter 9 says that the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. Jesus was not half God, half man. He didn't leave his deity and come and take on only humanity. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And the Holy Spirit is God. There's this story in Acts chapter 4 or 5 where there's a real estate deal that goes bad, right? Ananias and Sapphira lie about the deal. And Peter, in front of all these people and to them, says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. You have lied to the Holy Spirit. And in the next verse, it says, you weren't lying to us. You lied to God. The Holy Spirit is God. All three persons work together in perfect unity. Jesus said, the Father and I are one. And check this out. This is, you might recognize this verse. God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he sent his son, his only begotten son. So you've got God the Father who sends the son. When the son is about to leave, he says, don't worry, don't worry. I'm going to leave a helper. I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit. And when somebody asked what the Holy Spirit was going to do, they said the Holy Spirit is only going to do exactly what the Father tells him to do. And so you see this Holy Spirit of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together in perfect unity. My favorite picture, my favorite story in the Bible where you see the Father and the Son and the Spirit working together is in Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus gets baptized. I just want to read it to you. It's only a couple verses long, but I want to highlight how you see all three of them. It says, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him and saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And then look at this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, the son, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. So you see the son and then you see the spirit. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son. It's the voice of the Father, whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. 
I just see this like perfect unity of them always working together, never competing, but almost completing who they are as a triune God. And then the last one that I want to bring up is that all three persons are distinct in their role. They're not the same. They don't change modes. I'm not mad at the three-leaf clover or the modes of water or the apple or the egg. I'm not mad at those, but they all do fall short to some extent of trying to describe this trinity. But here's, here's what I want you to take away from today's message as we go into next week, the Father. The week after that, the Spirit. Christmas Eve, Eve, the Son. Here's what I want you to take away from today to, to set the framework for where we're going. Is that they're distinct in role. The Father loves us. The Son saves us. And the Spirit changes us. Father loves us. The Son saves us. And the Spirit changes us. Let me read you a couple verses on each of those. And I just got to tell you, these are, these are one of, of dozens, maybe hundreds of verses that, that support that the Father loves us. So John 3.16 is a verse that maybe you've heard before, but it says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Here's another one, Ephesians chapter 2. But because of his great love for us, the Father loves us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in sin. Even when we were dead in sin, the Father loves us. And so you see, it is, it is his nature, it is innate for the Father to be loving. And the Son, the Son saves us. In 1 John 4, it says that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. I couldn't die for your sins because I'm not God. God had to do that. And so God sent Jesus to do that. John 3, 17 says, God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. The Son saves us. If Jesus isn't God, there is no salvation because I can't die for your sins. Only God can do that. And the Spirit changes us. So the, so the Holy Spirit is what comes and takes up residence inside of us. If you've ever prayed to ask Jesus into your heart, psych, it was really the Holy Spirit. Kind of came in and started to live there, right? And so the Holy Spirit is the God, is the, is, the, is the person of the Trinity that we're interacting with the most as humans here on the earth. God loves us, the Son saves us, but the Spirit is the one that changes us. Here, here's two verses on the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26. This is, uh, this is Jesus talking. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I've told you. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity that is active in our lives. And here's another one, Galatians 5. It says that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. These are the things that the Holy Spirit brings out in us. These do not come naturally. These come when God changes us. The Father loves us. The Son saves us. The Spirit changes us. This is our God. Three in one. Any questions? <laughs> really, though. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, you could do a 35-week series. You could do a 350-week series. And you wouldn't 
get to the top of this mountain. You would, you would get to the end of a four-week series and realize, wow, we've broken through the fog and oh my goodness, we're still in the foothills of this ascension to the, to the knowledge of the holy, to the knowledge of God, to the, to the knowledge of how this works. But that's, that's part of the beauty of it because everything that you find amazing, anything that totally blows your mind, anything that leaves you speechless, you probably can't fully understand it. There's something unknown about it that makes it that way. I, I remember when I was a uh, camp director, I had many different skit characters, and one of these skit characters that I loved very much was called Miguel the Magnificent, and he was a magician, but he uh, didn't do any real tricks. It was all fake, and it was all dumb, and I would act like I was amazing, and people thought I would be amazing, but I would hold, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you know, like those like metal ladles that you like scoop chili out with, right? I would, tuck it, I would tuck the handle underneath my armpit here and I would, I would hold just the bottom of the ladle and then I would open up my hands like this and the ladle would stay there. And it kind of looked like a globe, a floating ball just for a minute and then I would turn and it was pretty obvious. So Miguel the Magnificent was like, eh, not so good. But one time I thought to myself, what if I go and actually try to do a real magic trick? What if I learned something and actually blow their mind? They'd known me by now and so they would roll their eyes when I'd come on stage. And so I went to this magic store and I said, man, you're not working with much here. You got to give me like a really simple trick. Like I, I probably can't figure out anything real, you know, either expensive or complicated. But if you could give me something that actually might look like I know what I'm doing, I'll take it. And so he said, oh, I got an idea. And so he goes back in the room, he comes back out and he brings this like red sack. It was on the end of a handle. And I'm like, how good can this be, you know? And so then he takes these like four or five little foam balls and he drops them in the sack. And then he says, did I drop them in there? And I'm like, yeah, you dropped them in there. And he says, now look, and they're not in there. So I put my hand in there and I'm trying to find them. And he would just kind of go like this and then he would put them back out and the, the balls would be in the sack. And I'm just like, I'm in this little magic shop and I'm just, my mind is blown. I mean, I can't believe. And I go, I got to have it, but you got to tell me how to do it. He said, well, you got to buy it first. And I said, well, that's fine. I'm going to buy it anyways. And so I bought it. And then I said, now you have to show me how to use it. And, and I'm telling you, he had been doing this there for like 15, 20 minutes. I'm just thinking to myself, I'm going to go blow their minds. And he said, all you got to do is there's this little wire here where my thumb is. And if you just kind of move it like that, there's a little drape in the middle of the red bag that just kind of moves back and forth. You'd never see it if, if I hold it up. And so, you know, it's, it's really just one little thing. And I was like, well, that's so dumb. <laughs> you know, like, that's so easy to figure out. How could, I, I apparently couldn't figure that out. But I, in a moment, in a moment, I wasn't interested. I wasn't even fascinated. And I tell that story to tell you that that will never happen with God. That will never happen with God. You will not be able to YouTube your way to a full understanding of God. He will always blow your mind. And the more that you know about him, and the, the more that you know how he works together, maybe, you're, maybe the more your mind will be blown. There is not a manual to figure him out. And that is what makes him God. Would you rather have a God that you can't figure out or a God that you can? Think about that for a second. You, got, you guys want to go around and try to find just the wisest person on earth 
to be God? Or would you rather somebody that you can't figure out pulling the strings? It doesn't really matter what you think because it doesn't change the fact that God to some extent is knowable, but to some extent is not. And how it all works together. Listen, I'm the kind of person I want to know how. I want to know how it works. Explain it to me. But there's, a, there's an element of my faith and there's an element of the Bible and there's an element of God that you got to come in and you have to a certain amount of humility where you go, you know what? I'm not going to know how this all works. Maybe the proper response to what I'm learning right now is not how, but wow. Like, like I, I can't figure all this out. And so maybe my default pose ought to be just amazement that I follow a God that I can't fully understand. And yet we should try to know him. It's kind of mysterious. I, I got to the point when I was writing this, and, and if I'm being honest, like I, I am more of a, uh, you know, just tell me what to do. You know, give me my action steps. You know, and I, I, I maybe even come to a, a church or hear a message that's more theological in nature, and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it, but like, tell me what I'm supposed to do. Like, what am I supposed to take away? How does Monday change because of the Trinity? And I was like, man, I was wrestling with this. And, you know, I think it's important to have what I would call a formational message or, or part of the message where it, you know, it's this part where we leave God room to form us. But then there's also, it's important to go back to these foundational messages that are, it's, it's what we believe because what we believe translates itself into what we do and how we live and how we think. And so this is one of these more formational messages, but, but just because... Just because I feel like God wants me to do this, I, I just want to ask you just a final set of questions and, and see if maybe God would want to do something in you in the formational, not just the foundational today. I told you, you know, that the Father loves us and the Son saves us and the Holy Spirit changes us. Here's my question. Are you letting him do those things? As a human being with a free will, to some extent, are you letting him do those things? If the Father loves you, are you actually letting him love you? I talk to a lot of people who are not letting the Father love them. They believe that the Father loves them, but they're not letting the Father love them. If, if the default how are you, you know, you ask him, how are you? If, if it's just this, this beaten down and insecure and unloved and I just keep messing up, are you letting the Father love you? The picture that Jesus painted in the New Testament, my favorite picture of God, I think, that Jesus painted was this, the story of the prodigal son, right? Where the, the father has two sons and, and the older son stays at the house and works really hard and the younger son goes away and blows all of his riches, maybe you know the story, the son actually decides to come home, right? And I, I, I just fear that sometimes we picture the father waiting at home, just like standing there, just tapping his foot, like, I figured you'd probably come back. Well, earn it, earn your way back in. Get to work, do the dishes. 
And it's like, it's not the picture that Jesus painted. This picture that Jesus painted was that the father, like, you know, against all cultural norms, hikes up his dress and starts sprinting at the sun because that's how much the father loves us. That's how much he loves people that come to the father. So simple question, like, are you letting God love you? Are you letting the sun save you? Or, or maybe that's more of a, a moment I would say in time. Have you let the sun save you? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal savior? Because in Romans chapter 10, it literally says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You put your faith in Jesus and he saves you. Boom. Every sin you've ever committed, every sin that you'll commit, forgiven. I could not do that for you. No one can do that for you. Only the son can do that for you. Are, have you ever let the son save you? And if you have, are you letting the Spirit change you? Are you open to God actually changing you? Everybody loves progress. We all say, well, of course, I want to grow. Not many people like change. But in order to have progress, in order to grow, a lot of times you have to change. If there was an area of your life that you didn't want God to touch, what would it be? There's an area of your life. God, leave that part alone. I know what you're going to say. I don't even want you to say it. What part would that be? And are you open to the Spirit actually changing you? Are you letting Him do that? The Father loves you and the Son saves you and the Spirit changes you. It's important for us to let Him do that. And I wonder, I wonder if we are. I wonder if we are. I'm going to give you some time here. We're not going to rush out of here. We're going to take communion together. There's a, there's a station there, a station there. There's single serve and gluten options right back in the back there too. And we're going to sing a song here in a minute as well. And we're not going to rush into it. I told the band even, I said, just like, let's just let everybody just go through the line. Let's not rush it. And I want you to ask, uh, you know, if you have time while you're standing in the line or sitting in your seat, I want you to think about that last question I asked you. Are you letting him? Which one of those three do you need to let God do? Do you need to let him love you? Do you need to let him save you? Or do you need to let him change you? Because that is what the Trinity wants to do. Let me pray for you. And uh, Jesus, we, we ask that you would meet us right now. Over the next 10 or 15 minutes, Lord, we ask that you would quiet our, our hearts and our heads just enough that we could actually have a moment with you. I pray if anybody in the room needs to pray with somebody, I pray that they would take the chance to do that. I pray for our prayer team in the back that you would give them the words to say over these people. I pray, I know there's somebody in here, God, who you love them, Father. Father, you love them, and they're having a hard time receiving that. And I pray that that love and that grace and that mercy would wash over them today. I pray for the person in the room who has been on the fence about whether or not they're in or out. And I pray that you would move them to be saved by you, that they would confess that the Son is God, that he died and rose for us. I pray that they would be saved. And I pray, Father, 
for anybody in here who doesn't want you to touch a certain area of their life. And I pray they'd be open to you forming them, transforming them, changing them, bringing out the fruits of the Spirit in their life. Lord, as we take communion, we don't do it hastily. We don't do it quickly. We don't do it flippantly. We want to be prayerful and thoughtful. We remember your sacrifice. We remember that you gave us your life. We remember that you died on the cross. We remember that you shed your blood. And so in remembrance of what you've done for us, we're going to take communion today. And I pray against a, a spirit of guilt, but I pray for a spirit of conviction in the room. I pray that nobody would have their head down in shame, Lord, but that we would have our heads up in freedom only because of what you've done, not what we've done. And I pray this would be a special time for somebody in the room. As we sing this last song, God, I pray that we wouldn't just sing words to a tune on the screen, but I pray that they would resonate deep within our hearts and our minds, that we would that we would declare the truth that you are three in one, that you are a mystery, that you are amazing, that we cannot figure you out, that you love us, that you want to save us, that you change us. God, we're in awe of you today. Meet us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. And to find out more about Three Creeks Church, visit threecreekschurch.com.